Good morning, everybody. Very nice to be here. We have a lot of work to do in the next hour because we have a lot of nails to discuss. Let's first look at my conflict of interest. I do do clinical research as part of my uh, position, and I have been a consultant for the companies listed on the screen. All right, so what are our objectives? Our objective is to diagnose and manage common challenging nail disorders. And we're gonna do this by introducing you to a collection of nail pearls. So we're gonna begin with some colorful pearls, and then we're gonna look at an inflammatory nail problem, psoriasis, and then other common but challenging nail problems. First, green nails. How we'll get in the mood of nails. So green nails. So a patient comes to you with a green nail. And everyone here knows that this is due to pseudomonas. So you can make a diagnosis, green-colored pseudomonas. Next patient. But let's think a little bit this through. How do we treat our pseudomonas patient? Well, there's several options you have. One, vinegar soaks, which is my favorite thing to do. I have the patient mix up at home half white vinegar and half water. And they can soak in that dilute solution for um, five or 10 minutes a couple times a day. And the vinegar will kill the pseudomonas, the pH of the vinegar. Plan B then is to get rid of the green color. So then you can use a dilute solution of Clorox bleach. And I have patients uh, use about one tablespoon of liquid bleach to roughly a cup of water, soak their nail into the uh, solution, and that'll help dissolve the green pigment. Now, other options, depending on what else the patient has tried successfully or unsuccessfully, you can have the patient mix half vinegar and half isopropyl alcohol in a bottle that has an eyedropper. And then they can put that under the nail. The alcohol evaporates, leaving the vinegar. So that's actually quite nice. Another option is Cipro-Otic drops. There are no nail drops, so you have to order the Otic drops. And be sure you explain to the patient this is for their nail, not their ear. When do you use oral antibiotics? Well, I do at times. If they've had it for a long time, if it's painful, if they're a diabetic, my threshold for writing a prescription of something like oral Cipro would be uh, increased. Now, there are a couple of their take-home messages from the patient with the green nail. All right, one thing is, let's say the green nail is a toenail. Don't just stop when you make a diagnosis of pseudomonas, because nearly all toenails that are green and have pseudomonas also have a dermatophyte. This is a paper, one of the papers I wrote, actually, and you can Google a bipartite interaction between dermatophytes and pseudomonas, and we found that once you clear the pseudomonas, virtually everyone you could grow a dermatophyte from. So have the patient come back, and at that time, do a fungal culture, and you can see if the patient has uh, onychomycosis, so they have two problems. What other things should you do with the green nail? Um, you need to consider to consider ordering x-rays. Now, why? Because what's right below the nail bed? It's your bone, very, very close. And if you've had a chronic infection in the nail unit, whether it's pseudomonas or chronic perinichia, osteomyelitis can occur. And I remember my very first week of practice, 30-some uh, years ago, I saw a little girl who had something like this. She had a chronic perinichia. 
she had already seen every dermatologist in the city, so I was the newest person, so she saw me, and I, I just did an x-ray on her, and she had osteomyelitis. So do think of ordering an x-ray in patients with chronic bacterial nail infections. All right, so that was our green nail. Now let's move to red nails. I like red nails. So many of you might have red nails. It's quite popular. But we're gonna talk now about erythronychia. So when you have red on a nail, the medical term is erythronychia. So here we have a patient who has this linear uh, red streak. And if you look closely, you can see the nail plate. There's a little notch in it, kind of a V. And under that notch is some hyperkeratosis, some crumbling tissue. So what is this? Well, you want to think about that because it could be several things. This is a close-up of other patients. That's that crumbly tissue you see under it right there. This is another patient with a line, and this is the erythronychia using dermoscopy. And with dermoscopy, you can see telangiectasia in the red streak. Well, what is this? Well, the mantra is, if it's on one nail, it's a tumor. If it's on more than one nail, it's not. It's an inflammatory process. So one nail, tumor, more than one nail, it's not. It's an inflammatory process. The most common tumor is called an onychopapilloma. Onychopapilloma. And it's an idiopathic tumor, uh, meaning we don't know why we get it. Might be due to warts in some, and it presents as a classic linear longitudinal um, uh, line that ends at the distal nail, uh, at the area of the uh, hyponychium or the nail groove with that V-notch and the subungual hyperkeratosis. And the dermoscopy will show splinter hemorrhages and telangiectasia. Now, other tumors can also cause this. Glomus tumor is a nail tumor that can cause this. Warts can cause this. Uh, there's other issues that can cause it too. There can be benign and malignant tumor, mel melanoma in situ, Bowen's disease, basal cell, squamous cell. So what do we do when we see this? Well, you need to do a biopsy if you have one nail. If you have more than one nail, then it's an inflammatory process. They're, the most common inflammatory process that causes polydactylous erythronychia is lichen planus. Lichen planus may only present with red streaks in several fingernails, lichen planus of the nail. Graft-versus-host disease also uh, can present with polydactylous erythronychia. The common drug for HIV, AZT, erythronychia. Uh, idiopathic, it can be, and other conditions. But lichen planus is the most common inflammatory process that causes it, whereas onychopapilloma is the most common tumor. So what do we do when we see this? We need a biopsy. Onychopapilloma um, is pretty classic when you see it. I see it fairly, fairly often, maybe you know, six patients a year with this, um, sometimes a little more. And this slide came from the Archives of Dermatology Journal, which is now called JAMA Dermatology. And they show, well, let's just briefly step back and do an anatomy of the nail. You have the nail plate. You have the proximal nail fold here. The matrix, which is the lunula, 
is right there. And the matrix, I tell patients, is the nail factory. So your lunula, and it extends a couple millimeters back into your digit, is all the matrix where the nail is made. And this is the lateral nail fold, and the nail ends at the distal groove in the hyponychium. And there may be nails, I can point out what the distal groove is. But in this process, the tumor is right here. It's in the matrix. And because the tumor is, is, is here, the nail is not made correctly at that one spot. So it ends up being thinner, uh, uh, thinner than the rest of the nail. Uh, so when you do a side view of it, as you see here, um, the nail is normal on either side, but because the tumor is taking up space and the nail plate is not being produced as thick as it is at the rest of the nail, uh, the nail bed kind of hemorrhages into the uh, hole here, causing the red streak. That's what exactly is happening. And it's just kind of interesting. Uh, so if you were to, for example, just clip away this hyperkeratotic tissue, it's going to come right back, and you won't even get a biopsy. I've had patients come in saying, well, this was a wart. Well, it's not a wart, actually. The only way to get rid of it is to do a biopsy right at the nail, um, right here, at the nail matrix. And you could excise the whole thing, but I, it's a little complicated for me, so I send it to our surgeon, and it's, uh, you can do a whole linear excision of this, and it might work, but it may not. So I think the important thing is to make a diagnosis, be sure it's benign and you're not dealing with something like an amelanotic melanoma, but I tell patients the odds are it's just this warty-like process. We don't know why we get it. It's probably not a viral wart, however. All right, so that was this, uh, the red pearl, erythronychia. So now let's move to yellow nails. Yellow nails aren't so popular, but nonetheless, we're gonna include them today. All right, so we're gonna talk here about yellow nail syndrome. And this patient has yellow nail syndrome. So all their fingernails, and ideally all their toenails, have this yellow discoloration on it, all of them. Now, if you had one nail with a yellow discoloration only, it's probably something external like smoking because tobacco can give you a yellow color on your nail. We'll talk more about that later. This is an, a patient with yellow nail syndrome. So here in this nail, you see onycholysis, where the nail plate is lifting up from the nail bed and a yellowish color. So you might walk in the room and say, oh, you have onycholysis, let's treat that. But look at the color of the nail first. Look at the color, because if you see a yellowish color, they may have yellow nail syndrome, which may present with just yellow nails and some onycholysis. This is a patient also who has some onycholysis right here, and that's it. The yellow is not bright yellow. It's more of a yellowish color, but when you Google this, you'll see yellow nail syndrome, so I'm sticking with what it says in the literature, though I find it more yellowish than true yellow. You, so this patient has onycholysis, that's what we're trying to show. This is onycholysis of several nails and that slight yellow tinge. So what else is the patient gonna tell you? They may tell you, hey doc, my nail is not growing. It doesn't grow. That's a clue, nails stop growing in this condition. Now when you read textbooks, they'll say, this is associated with bronchiectasis, bad, bad lung disease. But the patients I'm showing you with yellow nail syndrome, one was a smoker, one, we, the only thing we could find was chronic sinusitis, and another one 
had adult onset asthma, but later on, like a year later, she ended up with bronchiectasis, but it started with just adult onset asthma. And it will occur on finger and toenails. And the common thread is yellowish color of nails, nails stop growing, you may see onycholysis, but pathognomonic is this hump, which doesn't develop initially, but may come as time goes on. So when you look at the side, you see this hump of the nail. And if you look closely, that's green under there because they can present with the green color too. So you may walk in the room and say, oh, green nail, let's do vinegar soaks, that's it. But the whole picture is they have yellowish color, their nails stop growing, and so forth. So put that in the back of your mind when you have a patient with the greenish color nails. And here's the hump and a different patient. And this is the patient I saw who was just was a smoker, and that's it. That's all. That's all we could find and had this problem. So it is a problem because the nails just don't grow, period. Nothing. I had one patient who had their nail removed and nothing replaced it. So you don't want to say, well, let's have it removed and see what happens because then you will have no nail, anonychia, not good. So generally, all nails will become affected, but early in the disease, it just starts with a few. You have onycholysis, often with the green color, and the green color you can get rid of with the, um, with the vinegar, and you can treat it with the pseudomonas so that at least it looks bad. It won't look bad, rather. And in this disease, I may have somebody say, let's just put polish on so you don't see the color. Toes may become thick and resemble onychomycosis. They may have onychomycosis too, because you don't know what they had before they got the yellow nail syndrome. So don't be led down. If they have onychomycosis and you culture it, and you might find onychomycosis, and you start treating it, and they won't get better because their nails don't grow. So there is a problem with this. So the classic findings of yellow nail syndrome associated with lymphedema, maybe pleural effusions, bronchiectasis, or chronic sinusitis. More common, however, from my experience, is just smokers, uh, recent pulmonary disease, and so forth. So what do we do for this? All right, so if you go look on the internet, which is what we all do, uh, it'll say treat with zinc. I have, doesn't work in my patients. Treat with biotin, I always do that. Doesn't work in my patients. Treat with vitamin E, doesn't work in my patients. But you need to try all this because if you don't, the patient will read about it and say, well, why didn't you do that? And then they'll do it. Then there are an anti, there's an antifungal itraconazole that's been reported to work but it doesn't work in my experience. Itraconazole, an antifungal we don't use that often, but used to use quite a bit for onychomycosis, um, is allegedly makes your nails grow faster. And that's why it was postulated to work. Uh, but it, I have not been impressed with it in this condition. I just haven't been able to get people better. So yellow nail syndrome is a problem. You need to diagnose it. The diagnosis may not be apparent initially, because you may not see that yellow color um, until it gets more uh, advanced. So they may have chronic onycholysis and green color and you know that hump comes and then you know for sure, well, we're dealing with yellow nail syndrome. All right, so that was our third color. Now let's move on to black nails, melanonychia. That's the word for black nails, melanonychia. So we're in the mood now looking at black nails and. Uh, if you have black nail polish, I think that tells a lot about you. We can talk about that. I told somebody over a drink. 
but um, let's talk now about acquired melanonychia. So this patient comes to see you next week and says, hey doc, my nails are dark. And you're busy and you look, and well, if you look closely, yeah, that is a dark hue on all the nails. Well, you must have had black nail polish, you think. No, 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 not me, I don't wear black nail polish. In fact, I don't wear any nail polish. So what could cause acquired melanonychia? Well, what you do when you have a nail problem, my mantra is, you, if they, someone comes to you with fingernail disease, always look at the toenails, because that'll give you clues. If someone comes to you with toenail disease, always look at the fingernails, and that'll give you clues. So you're looking at the fingernails, and they're all black. Now you think, well, I'm gonna go look at the toenails. Toenails are perfectly normal. So what could this be? That should alert you that it may be something external, not internal. So what could cause black nails? What could stain the nails black? The most common thing that stains the nails black is hydroquinone, which is found in bleaching products, ironically. Also, vitamin C in cosmetics has been reported, and I have seen melanonychia from vitamin C in cosmetics. First, why does hydroquinone do this? Well, hydroquinone is oxidized to quinone, which is yellow, which is then oxidized to hydroxyquinone, which is yellow but darker, and this polymerizes to a dark brown to black compound in, in, in the sun. So a patient will probably buy some over-the-counter hydroquinone or prescription hydroquinone, use it on their face, it gets on their fingers, they don't wash it off, they go in the sun, and they get black nails. It's that simple. They're unlikely to get it on their toenails, obviously, but their fingernails would be at risk. And I've seen this, it's, it's actually quite common. Uh, you just have to look for it. So that's hydroquinone, and I've seen the same with vitamin C. However, now you're the super sleuth dermatologist, and they come in to see your na nails, fingernails, and you say, well, I'm gonna look at your toenails, and they have dark pigment in the toenails. Hmm, now what is it? So they may not have dark pigment at the early stage, but later on, there are drugs that can cause melanonychia. So if their fingernails and toenails are involved, it's probably systemic. And this is a list of drugs that can cause melanonychia. Now, I'm gonna tell you, the most common one that does it is minocycline. It, it does it, and, and it always occurs in my uh, patients who either are lawyers or children of lawyers. And uh, it's Murphy's Law. I, I was in practice, I'm now in Alabama, but I used to practice in Cleveland. And one of my last months in Cleveland, uh, there was a girl I was taking care of, and her, she was maybe 20-ish, and I had her on minocycline for her acne, and her father was one of those lawyers that advertise on TV, I sue doctors, call 1-800-I-SUE-DOCTORS. And so I walk in the room, and not only were her nails all black, but her tongue was black. I thought, oh, crap. But that's Murphy's Law. So, but minocycline does a do this. It's allegedly reversible. Um, I never was sued, so I presume it reversed because I was only there another month. It reversed. But um, it's, it's just a side effect, and you warn patients of the side effect when you give this drug. It's not common, but it can occur. But the literature will say hydroxyurea is the most common ca cause of this. And the patient I showed you with the thumb being black, 
She only had it on the thumb. She was given hydroxyurea for an underlying uh, uh, hematologic problem. And uh, she couldn't stop it. And I warned her, look, all your nails are going to get black. You know, it's just a side effect of the drug. And when you're done, eventually the color will come back. So hydroxyurea in that patient. So again, as a super sleuth, you look at, when you see fingernails, you look at toenails. When you see toenails, you look at fingernails. And you can put it together better. And another mantra is external staining scrapes off. So if you see yellow nails and it scrapes off the yellow, cigarettes, nail polish can leave yellow nails. A red polish will stain the nail yellow. No figure, but it does. Red polish stains a nail yellow, but you can scrape that off with a 15 blade, so you can cure the patient right there in the office. Uh, also, if it's external, it's usually normal toenails. If it's internal, the thumb is generally the first digit to get it, generally. So those are some clues. All right, now another version of melanonychia is longitudinal melanonychia. So this can be a little worrisome when you see it, uh, this is also known as melanonychia striata, melanonychia striata. And you see a pigmented linear band in the nail unit. It's more common in people of color. In fact, one paper said almost 100% of people of color, darkly pigmented individuals, old, over 50 have at least one digit. And if they have more than one digit that has a black streak, I'm not going to worry about it. But if you have a patient, particularly a person of, of light complexion, who has one new uh, digit uh, that has melanonychia, a biopsy is needed. A biopsy for something there. And again, you need to biopsy the nail matrix. Hutchinson's sign is extension of the pigment into the, peri, uh, into the posterior nail fold right here. And that's actually a clue of melanoma. So if you have a black streak running down the nail, whether it's a fingernail or toenail, and it's black here too on the skin, then you really get alarmed. But most of the ones you see, even when you do a biopsy, are just a nevus. The nevus is located in the nail matrix, and so the pigment just kind of goes with the flow, shall we say. It's not going to ever go away unless it's excised at the level of the nail matrix. So this is melanonychia striata. And again, one nail, you need a biopsy, more than, and especially if it's a patient who is light-complected. A person of color with one nail, I don't get upset with. I'll just you know, tell them we'll continue looking and at the nail, maybe check it again, because it's so common. You don't have to worry. So, And when you do a biopsy, you need to biopsy the, uh, the matrix. And this patient had a nail matrix biopsy. The, matrix was bi the biopsy was done here, and the nail is just growing out. It was just a punch biopsy. And again, one digit, one biopsy. There's also a melanonychia fuller, which you're going to see a lot. This looks kind of greenish on this slide. And this could be pseudomonas. But sometimes that dark green color is also um, can look so green, dark, that it's black. And it can scare you, and you think a person has melanonychia, not just pseudomonas. The other thing that can cause that green, that blackish color, generally on the edge, uh, the lateral nail folds, is candida, candida albicans. And candida can cause perinychia, and a chronic perinychia uh, would be swelling of your posterior nail fold here. 
and uh, the candida, when it gets incorporated, stains the nail matrix uh, black, and a black discoloration will occur. That's actually a sign of candida. So this patient could have candida or pseudomonas. But it, it looks greener to me, so it's probably pseudomonas, but you might rule both out. All right, so those were some colorful nails. Now we're gonna change gear and look at what to do with inflammatory nail disease. And here we're gonna talk about psoriasis, psoriasis of the nail. We all see psoriasis patients. I love seeing them because we can do something for them. But we're limiting our discussion now to nail psoriasis. Nail psoriasis occurs in most patients with psoriasis, 80%, 78. You can basically remember about 80%. And it's more common in people who have psoriatic arthritis. It usually involves several fingernails, several nails, not just one, but more than one. And when we're gonna show you the classic features of nail psoriasis, it's the fingernails that have them, not the toenails. Now, why is that? And that's because fingernails grow um, differently than toenails. Toenails grow only one millimeter a month, maybe two if you're young. Fingernails grow two to three millimeters a month. So that, for, that is why there are more typical changes in fingernails than toenails. But regardless, having nail disease can affect your quality of life. It can be horrible, in fact. Uh, you surely wouldn't want to go to a dentist who has thick, grungy-looking fingernails. You wouldn't want uh, your food to be served by somebody. I mean, it, you know, it, there's a stigma, and it affects the quality of life. So it, we need to know what to do to help these patients. Uh, it also may be the only sign of psoriasis. 5% of people with psoriasis have nail disease as the only finding. And those patients are unfortunately often misdiagnosed as onychomycosis given antifungals. They're not getting better. And I see a lot of them. And they've already taken their terbenafin or whatever. They're not getting better. And one clinical clue you can do is ask them, do, you, do your joints hurt? Ask them about the distal, the DIP joint. Um, let me come back to that point in a minute. Severe nail psoriasis is associated generally with severe skin disease. So their thick nails are probably the least of the problem because they could have psoriasis over their whole body. But occasionally you can have severe nails with no skin disease. Severe joint disease can occur. And you have to go ask people. They may not volunteer because they don't think it's relevant. Uh, do you wake up stiff? Do your hands get stiff in the morning when you wake up? Do you, does it hurt to move your fingers? So now let's talk about how do we diagnose nail psoriasis which will be our first pearl, nail di psoriasis diagnosis. And there are three common clinical features of nail psoriasis. Other features occur, but they're not indicative of nail psoriasis. The first is pitting, the second is salmon color patches, and the third is onycholysis with a red border. Let's look at this more. This patient has fingernail onycholysis. We all see that. In fact, I cut the nail back. But what I want you to pay attention to is on the edge of the onycholysis, there's some erythema. That would be indicative of psoriasis. This is another patient. Maybe the erythema is better shown here. We have onycholysis with the red border. That is indicative of nail psoriasis. Now we have pitting. 
So lots of pits. Now pits are not unique to nail psoriasis, but it sure makes you think of psoriasis. What else could cause pitting? Well, you can get pitting in alopecia areata, alopecia totalis. Uh, those are the two most common, but that seldom occurs with alopecia areata, but it occurs commonly in psoriasis. And this is pitting. I think we all can see the pits in this slide. Oil spots, looks like there's oil under the nail. And that's also very indicative of nail psoriasis. So those are the three things. Oil spots, also known as salmon color patches, onycholysis with the red border, and pitting. Now there's other things too, uh, including nail bed hyperkeratosis, resembling onychomycosis. Onychorexis, meaning you have a lot of lines in your nails. Splinter hemorrhages, but splinter hemorrhages can occur to tra from trauma. Nail plate thickening and crumbling, even you can get psoriasis perinicchia. And these can occur, as I said, with a lot of things. Like this patient comes to you with this grungy looking toenail. So you see the nail and you see, gee, there's onycholysis here. Um, I don't see much of anything else, just onycholysis, maybe some leukonychia that's nonspecific. Nails don't look good here at all, but it's not really specific for nail psoriasis, that nails are crumbling. These patients have onycholysis, um, and this is an interesting one. I, let me just say as a sidebar, do you see how the onycholysis here is shaped to the same way as the nail itself? The, pro the proximal lateral nail folds. Do you see the curve is exactly the same? You know why? That's external onycholysis. It was a, probably a contact dermatitis from nail polish. So you will have onycholysis in the shape of the curvature of your fingernail because it's external. This is not psoriasis. This patient has subungual hyperkeratosis which is why when someone comes to you with toenail disease, you need to look at the fingernails. Because you look here and say, oh, you have, you have fungus. But look at their fingernails and you may see pits. And then you're gonna have to think, hmm, maybe they don't have fungus after all. But maybe they do, we'll talk about that. This patient has subungual hyperkeratosis and onycholysis. It's a distant slide. This is close up of that patient. This patient has an acute contact dermatitis to nail acrylics and her nails are not in good shape, all 10 nails. Unfortunately, she was learning to become an aesthetician putting, you know, doing this, and she got it at work, not good. So a lot of nonspecific nail findings are out there. They do not all point to psoriasis or point to onychomycosis, but you can get clues from other body parts. You also need to rule out onychomycosis in your patients with psoriasis. This is kind of an interesting little point. Uh, about one-third of people with psoriasis, one-third of people with psoriasis who also have abnormal toenails have onychomycosis. Now, that doesn't mean that their abnormal toenail is only onychomycosis. It could be both, onychomycosis and psoriasis. So you want to look for evidence of psoriasis, even if you know the patient has onychomycosis, like this person. So this person, the nail psoriasis is hidden. You do a culture and you see onychomycosis. Well, I'll just give you some terbenafin. But look at the fingernails, maybe you'll see pits. And then when you use terbenafin, say, well, I'm gonna get rid of your fungus with this. 
but your nail may have psoriasis here too, and that part of your nail is not going to clear up. It just can't. All right, so that pearl reviewed what we need to see in the nail to make a diagnosis. Let's now move into how do we treat it. So you have a diagnosis of nail psoriasis, and what do you do to treat? Well, all right, so now what you do is you want to decide if the psoriasis in the nail is in the nail matrix or in the nail bed. Matrix or bed, matrix or bed, or both. All right, why? All right, well, if it's in the matrix, what's going to happen? Well, the matrix makes the plate, right? So if the plate is abnormal, it's the matrix. We'll blame the matrix. The nail bed is under the nail. So if you have lifting up of the nail, onycholysis, or grungy hyperkeratosis under the nail, it's nail bed disease. Why do I need to know this? Well, if you have, the, have uh, nail bed disease, you probably could put some topical product on the nail, right here, the nail bed, and you might get some benefit because what you put is reaching where the disease is. I would probably want to clip this back, file it down, put something on, you might get some results. But if you have a nail matrix disease, how is something you're going to put on your nail going to get all through your skin or under your cuticle into the nail matrix? It just can't do it that well. So that's why you need to know where the disease is. Many nails are both. They have both nail matrix and nail bed disease. So again, nail matrix, um, you have to think of, nail, um, it will be abnormal nail plate, nail bed, you have subungual hyperkeratosis and onycholysis. In some people, you may have both nail matrix and nail bed disease, as you see here. And I love this nail. You have a cruddy looking nail that has dystrophic and it's thin and it has actually onychorexis, which is prominent ridges, but you have onycholysis down here too. So there's actually nail plate crumbling, which is matrix disease, and onycholysis, which is bed disease. So, now you know where it is. Now you kind of get your line of what am I going to do to treat it? So I'm going to divide our treatment into first line and second line. First line, steroids, vitamin D, and uh, tazeratine, the vitamin A. So our vitamins are steroids that we have. The second line, urea is good. I, I use a lot of urea. Um, and the other things listed here, I don't use so much but it's in the literature, so I'm putting it on for you to uh, take home with. Vitamin D is my first treatment. I really like vitamin D in the nail. And this patient has um, uh, thick hyperkeratosis, you see here, of the nail bed with onycholysis, 12 weeks. That nail looks pretty good. So why do you think I use vitamin D number one? Well, the steroids are also effective, aren't they? But uh, let's hold that thought for a second. This is another patient. Vitamin D cleared up this nail before and after. Not bad. So with steroids, the question I, I'd like to posit is, are they safe to apply on the nail? Are they safe? So you apply a steroid to the face, and we all know that you're not going to use uh, clobetazole on the face because you're going to have acne, rosacea, stria, telangiectasia, you have a problem. But how safe are they on the nail? Well, let's explore this. 
there was a paper published in 1987 in the archives, and this guy reported a patient of his who used uh, flucinonide, flucinonide, um, um, which is now the generic for Lydex, for four months, for just a month. Let me come back to that paper because I think this is very important. But when you use topical steroids on the skin, you think of skin atrophy. If you use it on the nail, you can get atrophy of the bone. That's really what the issue is. And Dr. Deffer reported a 60-ish year old woman who used flucinonide four times a day for a month. At the end of the month, her finger looked like a sharpened pencil because her bone had uh, disappeared. And the x-ray showed it. This is not good. There was no history of Raynaud's no history of any collagen vascular disease, and he called it the disappearing digit. And you will see this. This is a disappearing digit. This is not a good result. This is normal. This patient was using potent topical steroids, and the nail, um, the bone has been atrophied, which is why this is not my first line for nails. Now, I use it in nails. I do use it. You just want to use everything and know the risks and use it appropriately. This is a little girl who was referred to me with a skin disease called perikeratosis pustulosa, and she had pus all over this nail. Um, one nail was involved with this, with pustules and scale. It's kind of like psoriasis on, on the finger. And someone had given her clobetazole for months, but when you, you x-rayed her nail, this was, bone was already beginning to shorten. So you can get a disappearing digit. Well, a colleague in in um, Greece did this study where they used vitamin D every night during the weekdays, Monday through Friday, and clobetazole on weekends. And it's been, no one has found problems with weekend use of potent topical steroids. So it's very safe to do that, and that's what I do. You could use clobetazole for a month if you want, and then weekends after that on the nail, and then weekdays use uh, vitamin D as this physician did, or you could use tazeratine if you prefer. But in this study, he had 62 patients, six months, and it worked very well. And essentially, this is what I do. Um, I treat with uh, a vitamin D ointment, Monday through Friday, and a potent topical steroid weekends. And that's, I like that. It works pretty well in my patients. But the pearl to take home here is you don't want to use a topical steroid to the nail unit forever. You need to say there's a limit. Whatever the limit is, you decide, but this is not forever and ever. You want to find something else. Rotate with tazeratine, rotate with vitamin D, rotate with urea, but just don't constantly use it. All right, so now we have this patient with nail matrix psoriasis. I think this is very indicative. You could see how the new nail growing in has these pits. Actually, the nail's almost gone. It's being held together by some pits. Um, this patient had acute psoriasis. So what do we do for the nail? What do you do? All right, well, we talked about if it's in the nail bed, topical, nail matrix. I use a lot of intralesional steroids. And so what I do is take trimcinolone and dilute it with lidocaine, no epi. I don't use any epi. And I make two injections uh, where the lateral nail fold meets the proximal nail fold, one here and then one on the other side. So you're almost doing a digital block. After putting the two injections in, you wait, and then you take your needle and you kind of stuff the stuff un going into your original bleb, get more under the nail, 
into the nail matrix from this side and come down from that side. And then you've just injected your nail matrix. Now, I often also take the needle and aim that way so I get down into the lateral nail folds because what gets lateral will diffuse in the nail bed. I find this very helpful. I don't use it that often. I told you we have to be cautious with steroids. But if you inject somebody, three months later, inject them again. I think that I've never had any problem with that. Um, often, though, people are not excited about this. You walk in the room and you say, I'm going to inject your nail. And they say, oh, no, where, where's the door? I'm leaving. So there are ways to minimize discomfort. You can use the ethyl chloride spray. And uh, I find that helpful. You can use Emla or one of the numbing gels, make your own numbing butter, whatever. But the results work. It does work very nicely. I find it very, very helpful. And often I'll say, look, let's just do one nail today. And if you're happy, and only if you're happy, we'll do more. It'll be your decision. And then we kind of pick a nail and do it. And most people will come back and want all their nails done. You also can do this for lichen planus of the nail. I find it very, very helpful in nail lichen planus. All right, for those who do not want to have their nails injected and are able to take acetretin, this works. Uh, Antonella Tosti published this paper. She had 36 subjects. She treated them for six months with low-dose acetretin. We're talking 0.2 milligrams per kilogram, so maybe 10 milligrams a day. 25 milligrams, but 10 mostly. It's not a high dose. Um, and uh, just to tell you it worked, I have the pictures from her paper. So before and after. So before looks pretty cruddy. After, better, it's not gone. But people are happy. And then you might manage it after your six months, because it takes about six months for your fingernails to grow out, with your topical treatments that you like. So before and after treatment. And they're just saying the nail score, the NAPSI score reduced and improved. So the other point in treating nail psoriasis is ask, does the patient have arthritis? Or do they have severe skin disease? Because then you can go directly to a systemic agent, biologic or whatever. Psoriatic arthritis, often DIP joint involvement. About one million people in the US have psoriatic arthritis. Um, untreated, you can get permanent, nail permanent joint disease. You want to look for manifestations of psoriatic arthritis in patients with fingernail dystrophy. I think that's quite important. And so biologics, from my experience, work the same in the, in the nail as they do in the skin. And this is two months after a systemic treatment. Your, uh, all the biologics will help the nail to some extent. This is infliximab before and after. This is adalimumab before and after. Uh, I'm, another option might be radiation therapies, PUVA, and so forth. Studies have shown these don't work very well, so, so much for that. All right, well, that kind of sums up nail psoriasis. So our last few minutes will be on common but challenging nail problems. And our first pearl here, I've already given you this, look at the toenail. But here I'm referring to a patient comes to you Monday with fingernail onycholysis. They have fingernail onycholysis. And what do you do? The first thing you should do is look at the toenails. And if their fingernails are dystrophic, but they have normal toenails, the odds are they don't have onychomycosis. They don't. You almost never get fingernail onychomycosis without toenail onychomycosis, almost never. The only exception will be um, 
a direct inoculation in a manicure. That would be it. But you almost never would get it. Fingernail onycholysis, I often treat with the combination clotrimazole betamethasone lotion. Um, the clotrimazole keeps candida from forming, and the betamethasone helps the nail attach. And again, I said it's unlikely to be a dramatophyte. Onycholytic fingernails or toenails can be due to a lot of things, psoriasis, trauma. Uh, trauma is a common cause of onycholysis. You don't rule that issue out. It's a common cause. Runner's toe is trauma. Runner's toe is trauma. Candida, you can get onycholysis too. And if you don't deal with onycholysis soon enough, you get the disappearing nail bed like this. So when you look at your skin, you have dermatoglyphics around you know, your nail uh, and the tip of your finger. But you could see this nail is ending a lot sooner than it should because this whole part should have been nail but instead, the, those dermatoglyphics. This was a runner, had runner's toe for years, kept beating up that to, poor toenail with subungal hematomas, getting onycholysis, and eventually the nail uh, disappears, the nail bed disappears, and there's nothing to do at that point. So you will get a permanent loss of nail bed. The second pearl is chronic perinicchia, dealing with perinicchia. So the rule of perinicchia is acute perinicchia is bacteria, Chronic perinicchia is candida. And perinicchia is re refers to infection of the nail unit, uh, the posterior uh, or lateral nail folds. So you can squeeze some pus out, get a culture. Pseudomonas, staph, and strep are the most common bacteria. Candida if it's chronic. And if you do have candida, my recipe is fluconazole, which is really our best drug for candida. 200 milligrams a day for five days, and then once a week, for about two months. So I may give them 12 pills. Uh, they take five of them for this week and then fungal Fridays or fingernail Fridays, whichever you want. And we'll talk more this afternoon on onychomycosis. You also want to emphasize to patients, never manipulate your cuticle. Never manipulate the cuticle. You need your cuticle to, because the cuticle is like the sealer. It seals bacteria and fungus from crawling under your nail matrix. And you should moisturize the cuticle on a regular basis. Clinical diagnosis of onychomycosis, we'll talk about that later too. You want to look for tinea pedis. The mantra is no tinea, tinea pedis, no onychomycosis. We'll talk about that too. Dermatophytomas are also uh, indicative of onychomycosis. I think we'll talk about that too this afternoon. This is onychogryphosis. I treat with urea. I think urea works fine here, 40% urea. All right, let's move to dry, brittle nails. We all see dry, brittle nails. Uh, biotin is what's commonly used. It's based on evidence from veterinary science. They put biotin in horse feed to make the horse's hoofs better. Uh, we don't have hoofs, but it makes our nails stronger. And from my own experience, it seems to improve hair too. So I order biotin. I also, for dry nails, it's often, uh, for brittle nails, it's often dry. So soaking your nails in olive oil may be helpful. Rubbing a good moisturizer on your nails, emollients, very helpful. Uh, if you review the literature, it also refers to colloidal silicic acid. But this is kind of one of those things that does everything from bowel problems to other problems, including nails. I've never tried it. 
Richard Shear, Dr. Shear, the nail guru, published a study using tazeratine. I haven't tried it, but his study worked. There's a hydrosoluble nail lacquer with chitin, which is approved as a device for brittle nails. There's also this solution, which I like. It has polyurea urethane 16%. It's actually a very interesting product. It came out as a device, and this is what it looks like. And you unscrew the cap, and you have this uh, lid, which has this cotton-tipped applicator, and you just have the patient rub it on all 10 fingernails. The package insert says it takes 10 or 15 minutes to dry, but I've used it myself, and it takes 45 minutes in me to dry. But it puts a water barrier on the nail. Water will not get in, but air gets in. And where I work, it's such a friendly place uh, in Alabama, and I mean it facetiously because patients are given a form. They're grading you. And the first question is, did the doctor wash their hands? Did the nurse wash their hands? So I walk in the room, and they have a piece of paper, and they're looking, and they're saying, hmm, and they're check. You know, so like the power here being the patient. So I have to take this wrap that's there and wipe all my hands and nails, and I watch my nails fall off as I do so, because I'm doing this, you know, 100 plus times a day. And because uh, you have to do it when they leave, too. All right, so it, it's how things are. So I found this very helpful for me, and uh, my nurses, we all find this helpful. That's uh, what I do. So I use this, which is waterproof. And uh, when you put the wipes over it, nothing happens to the nails. And the biotin, I think, are your best. Uh, there's new topical treatments for onychomycosis. Let me just use this moment to just mention them. We'll talk about them in more detail this afternoon. Ephinaconazole may be coming out next year. It's a solution. Also, there's Tavaborol, another solution, hopefully coming out next year. Uh, both have already completed their studies, all the data is in, they're effective topical treatments, and so if you have patients with onychomycosis that you're seeing now that just really don't want to take anything oral, I'm just telling them, look, you call me in six months and I may have something to treat you with, because I'm hoping it comes out. They're both very effective for onychomycosis. So ladies and gentlemen, we have completed our journey of nails. We talked about the colorful pearls, which I like the colorful. Uh, the inflammatory nail disease, psoriasis, other common but challenging problems. Let's just finally sum up some key points. First, identify the nail color. And as we learned, the color can result from external, external issues, infection, or internal causes, or even tumor. So look at the color. Nail psoriasis, we talked about location matters. If it's in the nail bed versus the nail plate, determines your treatment that you're going to do. Brittle nails, there are topical things that are very effective for that. And new topical antifungals are coming soon. So that sums up my presentation on nails. Thank you very much. I think we have a couple minutes for questions. Yes? If you have a young patient with new onset psoriasis confined to the nails only, do you order a uh, x-ray to check for psoriatic arthritis? And also, do you ever use Taclinex uh, for psoriatic nails? So the question is, do I use Taclinex for psoriatic nails? I'll do that first. Yes, I use Taclinex for psoriatic nails. It's a very nice product. It has a vitamin D and a topical steroid. 
I would use it daily for a month and then weekends after that. And then Monday through Friday, since on weekends they have the vitamin D, you might use vitamin A, tazeratine Monday through Friday. But daily for a month, weekends after that, very nice product for uh, nail psoriasis. The second part of your question is really, do you x-ray all people's hands when you suspect nail psoriasis? The x-ray changes don't occur early, so it's unlikely to be positive, but if they've had it for a long time, you might see something. But you can get a CRP. CRP just is the inflammation in your body. So uh, I had a patient recently who had, I knew psoriatic nails, no psoriasis on the skin, but horrible joint pain. Her CRP was way off the roof, and um, uh, we're gonna treat her with a systemic drug because she has psoriatic arthritis. Yes? So question is, uh, is there literature for the use of biotin, literature for regular medicine, not just veterinary literature? Yes. Uh, there, I mean, everyone goes, the, the question is the use of biotin is based on the veterinary literature and everyone who writes, who talks about it refers back to the veterinary literature. Is there so, like- I don't there, think there have been any studies in no, people okay. that I'm aware of, but it does seem to work. I think the question is, does it really work in the hair? You, t you ask people when you give it for their nails, does, their hair tends to grow faster. That's all I can say. But for the nails, the evidence comes from the good old vents. Yes? For longitudinal erythronychia, if you palpate that, will the lesion blanch? If you palpate down the nail, yeah. it'll blanch even if it's not, a, even if it's, a, if it's a tumor or inflammatory process. It will blanch. Mm -hmm. what, what's the maximum volume that you use to inject your nails? With, with, that, uh, with the tramcinolone? All right, so I've diluted it to five milligrams per ml, and uh, I sometimes even go a little less to two and a half or three milligrams per ml, and you use about 0.1 cc's uh, on each site of the nail, 0.1 at the most, and you probably are gonna get used less than 0.3 cc's total. Next. Hi, um, I have two questions too. Oncogryphosis, is that a genetic or is that more mechanical? The question is onychogryphosis, which is essentially a thick nail. And uh, you see thick nails, but normal foot. You don't have tinea pedis. I'm not sure. Um, I think it's tr chronic trauma probably is one reason to get it. Um, maybe there's a genetic predisposition too. It's very hard to treat. Urea is just somewhat effective, and I have patients, they may be better seeing a podiatrist to get the nail ground down, or you could have them put the urea and then file it down. Um, what do you do for a patient that's undergoing chemotherapy, and all 10 of their nails are just, they're having extreme pain, cultures are all negative, um, you know, they've got onycholysis, you've you um, trim have, it down, but what do you do for the pain? Well, I don't cut the onycholytic nail all the way down to the bottom. Some people do, I don't. I use, the top, I use a topical steroid and an antifungal. So you could use the combination, one I mentioned, clotrimazole, betamethasone, or you could use two different things, such as uh, cyclopyrox lotion um, with uh, hydrocortisone lotion. And the, the, using the steroid calms the inflammation down and is very helpful. Again, you, you, know, you just minimize the steroid, but if you use it, a low-potency steroid like hydrocortisone, you're unlikely to have bone problems. Yes? Uh, in your discussion with, of oncopapilloma, can that cause a linear hyperkeratosis or only the erythro? You get a linear erythronychia, 
and the hyperkeratosis is really just at the distal edge. So you will almost see almost like a foreign body. Yeah, just kinda... it looks like a wart. Mm -hmm. So these people, you think there's a wart right under the nail, and these people, and if you freeze it, you think, oh, I got it, but then it comes back. Almost like a splinter. Exactly. It, you, do you have one? Uh, no, I've seen, I've seen a patient. <laughs> because they're really common. And no, I, no, I've seen this. This is very, very common. And it looks like a splinter that you just want to get out. And uh, if you freeze the tip of it, you know, the hyperkeratosis goes away, but then it comes right back. The only way to cure it is to take out the nail, do the biopsy around the nail um, matrix. There are various ways to dose Lamisil for onychomycosis. How do you dose it? We're going to talk about onychomycosis at 4.30 okay, in great detail. You. So if we could hold the onychomycosis so I can talk about it, because that's a long answer. Um, what are your recommendations for patients with dry or brittle nails or mild onycholysis in terms of manicures, shellacs, nail polishes? Is that something to avoid or frequency to avoid? Well, okay, so this is also a common problem. A lot of the people who have the dry, brittle nails are putting chemicals on their nails. I like them to take a vacation from their polish or from their acrylics. You know, it's good to go on vacation. Even nails need a vacation, is what I tell patients. So give your nail a couple months off. Let some new nail grow in. And uh, use one of the products we talked about if you could. And um, I think the shellac is going to be safer because you don't need to do it that often. It's only every couple of weeks. So nail biopsies stress me out because mm -hmm. I worry about permanent damage yep. and it's also painful and that kind of thing. When do you decide to you know, refer that out? And also, how do you know how far back to go anatomically to get a good sample you, without causing permanent damage? Well, you could damage it, the nail uh -huh. because the matrix produces the nail. In our clinic, I don't do the biopsies. It's done in our surgery group. Our, our most surgeon does all the nail biopsies. So I haven't done a biopsy in a long time. But you biopsy, if you, you send somebody to be biopsied if you think it's a tumor, if they have a linear um, a black streak or a red streak, right. they need a biopsy. And they just need a two or three millimeter punch is really all you need. And you get the, the area right at the base of the cuticle, right there. Is the lanula enough, or do you have to go behind into like the... You, you're, you need to, in most cases, you're going to have to, you might be okay in the lunula when you see the lunula, but you don't see it in all your nails. But you're going to have to evulse the nail usually and it pull back the proximal um, fold and go for the tumor. And do you refer to the dermatologic surgeon? Yes, or the most surgeon does it. And the Thank residents you. are now supposed to have experience doing it, so that's okay. why we have to send them all. So, so most surgeon. Most surgeon Thank will you. do it. All right, it's 11 o'clock. Thank you very much.